This podcast is brought to you by ABB, the preferred EV chargers of Audi and the leading charger provider in New Zealand. Hello and welcome to episode four of the EVs and Beyond podcast. We have another great show for you this week with Audi New Zealand General Manager Dean Shee joining us to discuss the brand's electric vehicle plans. But first, some news. A Kiwi is now one of the fastest drivers in the world in an electric vehicle. Simon Evans of Team Asia New Zealand has taken out the Jaguar I-Pace e-trophy for the second season. Evans describes the win as an unreal experience, adding it was a tough nine days with seven races. Planning on applying for funding for your EV-related project? With COVID-19 restrictions in place, the Energy Efficiency and Conservation Authority has extended the application period for the latest round of the Low Emissions Vehicle Contestable Fund. You now have until September 14 to get your application in. Do you want to contribute to New Zealand's objective of becoming carbon neutral by 2050? Now you can with ABB's EV chargers. No matter how big or small your e-vehicle is, ABB offers solutions ranging from high-quality AC wall boxes, reliable DC fast charging stations with robust connectivity to innovative on-demand electric bus charging systems. To find out how ABB can help you become carbon neutral, call the team on 0800 go for abb That's 0800 our guest today is very well known in the New Zealand premium car space, but increasingly has a foot in the EV car camp. Today, we are speaking with Dean Shee, the General Manager of Audi New Zealand. Thanks for joining us, Dean. Very much uh, my privilege, Richard. Thank you very much. Now, you announced last week you're getting near the end of the project to roll out charging around the country. Can you tell us a little bit about the network? It's it's a lot of it's very DC based, which is impressive considering. And, and I've just been at the event where another brand was announcing their charging plans, and they've kind of stuck to relatively basic AC options. Why was the investment in DC important for you guys? Cutting a very long story short for you, you've got to have quite a strong future view of where your business is going regarding electrification. And if your future view is as Audi's is, is that we're all driving electric cars, you've got to get your head around that. And then you've got to bring it back and contextualize it for the New Zealand environment and go, what do I need to do to ease the transition? And through all the research that we've uh, conducted and the overseas study, charging is one of those enablers. So you either get it right or you don't. And what I mean by get it right is you make the transition to charging easy for a consumer. The best uh, research I've, I've read talks about domestic or home charging being 80% of a consumer's use. 20% of the charging is destination charging or public charging. So that clearly tells you you need a foot in both camps to understand it. And then the third part, which the research doesn't talk about but is vital, is actually having our dealerships around the country fully supporting charging to enable their businesses to work effectively, but also to service customers' needs. And when you break that down and then you have a look at domestic charging, clearly that's AC, not DC. So you need an AC solution. So and the best example I can give you is you buy one of our uh, Audi products today and we equip you with two sets of charging at the AC level. One is a, a 10 amp, which is your three pin plug. And then our recommended version is a 32 amp semi-commercial setup. The 10 amp three pin is purely a top up what we would call an emergency situation, not for the every night charging. However, a completely wired in 32 amp setup, actually for these new generation BEVs, fully electric cars, uh, is what the uh, car needs. And it's about 50% of your total house's 
current supply. Because you're the only brand that supplies a multifunction charger with, I guess, in old school EV terms, a blue commando. Yep, like absolutely, the blue commando. So, and look, we firmly believe that a customer will change their psyche and behavior through EV ownership. So they will come home, they will plug their car in to either, but preferably the 32 amp setup, their timer will be on. So they will start to draw current at off peak, 10 o'clock at night, six o'clock in the morning to uh, update their car and to recharge their car. Now, if they get into that behavior, they're simply topping it up every night. By about night two, they've got a completely fully charged battery. So they may not even need to do it that following night, but it's a psychological one. So you've got to have that process nailed and it's got to be easy. Then you've got to worry about the charging around the country or the public charging infrastructure. And we're very lucky to have a partnership with ChargeNet. So when an Audi customer picks up their e-tron, inside their leather key fob is actually an RFID chip, and uh, they can touch that leather key fob at any of the ChargeNets about 200 and something or other charges around the country, and that will commence charging. So we have the that public charging sorted as well as the AC charging. The third component is the dealerships, and uh, we've been working with AC charging now for about five years for our plugins, and then latterly our future view around our total BEVs require DC charging. So we've got a 50 kilowatt currently the fast charge standard, put into every dealership in the country. We've got a partnership globally and locally with ABB, who are arguably the world's leaders in charge hardware, and we're using ABB chargers. We have one on our rooftop business premise here. And then we're going one stage further and putting in class-leading 175 kilowatt DC chargers, which a year or so ago would be seen as being fanciful and quite extravagant. However, our future product stream tells us that we're going to need charges like that to handle the technology and the product we have coming through. So a 50 kilowatt charger is good, but when you've got a car that can take a 150 kilowatt charge, clearly it plugs into that and goes, well, mate, I can take something three times the, uh, the forcefulness of the charge. And next year we'll demonstrate something at the 350 kilowatt capable charger. So a 50 kilowatt charger is okay, but not flash for those particular circumstances. Hence going to 175, which is a nice middle ground between our top end 350 kilowatt and our base model e-tron at 150. Because the, the group that Audi is part of is very much focusing on that higher voltage battery technology for those those faster, more stable charge times. Look, look you're right. We'll launch 800 volt charging for the listeners. Uh, most of our e-trons at the moment, in fact, all of our e-trons are using 400 volt technology, which is current state of the art. But when you've got cars like the Porsche Taycan or the Audi e-tron GT coming out, they step up to the 800 volt charge. That allows 350 kilowatt charging. And the reason that is important is you have a total charge time for the battery of about 10 to 12 minutes. And 10 to 12 minutes is important because that's about the average amount of time you spend at a current fuel station popping in petrol or diesel into your car and grabbing a muffin and a coffee. So if we can get a charge time down to that level, happy days for the customer. Yeah, whenever I hear someone complaining about DC charge times, I tell them to the next time they go into a BP or something to get their, themselves fuel and a coffee, actually start the stopwatch and realise how long it uh, Quite right. takes to get in and out. Do you think 
and I guess this is a, a cautious question here. Do you think that distributors and other vendors of electric cars in New Zealand are perhaps honest enough or doing enough work with their customers around the realities of EV charging? Look, I'd be um, I'd be lying if I said I thought they all were. I know from my own experience, I think there's more to do in that in that area. I'm not saying we're the best. I'm saying we've got a view, and it's a very customer centric view. So I've lived and driven EVs for about five years now. And I know what it's like to live with them, to own them and to charge them, either publicly or domestically. And I've met enough EV customers around the country, both with my Drive Electric board member hat on and my Audi GM hat on, to understand what they go through. Our job is to make their life easy. And uh, we can simply sell a car. That's one thing. But if we want great customer loyalty, we've got to think more about that customer and what they do with the car and making their life easy. And it's a tricky thing. I mean, speaking from my own experience, I've, I've just been spending some time, or did about 1100k on your e-tron 50. And if you look, go from a brochure level and look at the numbers on that car versus the other car versus perhaps some of the Tesla products out there, it doesn't necessarily stack up as being what you would think the ideal car. But in usability and experience, the way that car charges, particularly on the 50 kilowatt infrastructure, which is going to make up the bulk of our network for the foreseeable future, I think it's one of the best EVs on the market. And I think you guys have got a particularly good special on at the moment that makes it pretty good value. It's uh, just the charge curves on that on that vehicle are amazing and so well suited for New Zealand. Look, you're right. One of the things that enables charging to be done at that sort of level and speedy and, and optimised is by having a battery which has actually uh, got heat management included. And what I mean by that is we have an air conditioning system, so to speak, around each of our high voltage batteries. So if you've got thermal management around the batteries, or in fact, let me go back a step, batteries get very hot when they get charged. The higher the current input into a battery, typically the hotter that battery will get. Batteries don't like getting hot. They also don't like getting cold. So if you can use thermal management to actually level out a battery, you can actually put higher levels of charge into that battery for longer and repeatedly, and also uh, talks to the draining the battery at the same time. So Audi spends a lot of time on thermal management that, to be frank, a lot of us thought was a waste of time at the start until we actually understood why it was in there. So we have rapid charging to 80% and then slow charging from 80% onwards, a bit like some really good smartphones that you might see. Yeah, I mean, for the for the EV news that are listening during our time with the e-tron 50, we were DC charging a few times a day and even on the ladder charges in the day after decent mileage, that car will go pretty much straight to 49 kilowatts on a uh, on a V-fill. If for comparison, a Model 3 on a V-fill kind of caps out at about 42, 44. It's still running at about 45, 46, 47 by the time you hit 80, and it's still running above 40 by the time you hit 90, which is just, on. if you're doing a road trip, that's super impressive. It really shortens down those times that you're waiting in that comfort zone. Look, it is, and that's all part of that customer experience as well. And it'll become even more important when you test and review cars like the e-tron GT with a 350 kilowatt capable charge. And that's a car with well in excess of 400 kilowatts of comparable power that we have today. 
and uh, you want the quickest charge you can into that car and you want to be able to rapidly charge it and you'll see a lot of thermal management come to the fore in that particular vehicle. Very cool. Are you happy with how e-tron sold so far? I mean, what kind of numbers have you moved so far? Yeah, so so in terms of sales, we pre-sold and retailed last year, 2019, I think 101, I think the number was from memory. And this year we've got about 32, I think it is. I'll tell you at the end of the month exactly. So clearly COVID made a major impact to us. So that's the first member of our family. So we're now getting firmly established with e-tron. As you mentioned, we've got the, the entry model, the 50, that we've just dropped into the marketplace this month. In two months' time, we get the third member of the family, which is the Sportback, which takes the e-tron 55 to a coupe SUV style. And that car will just round out the year very nicely for us. Early next year, you'll see us starting to pre-sell the e-tron GT, which is our four-door Grand Tourer. It's the Porsche Taycan brother-sister car. And uh, you've probably seen what that car looks like. And we hope to launch that around mid-year, maybe third quarter next year, just depending on when we can get access to production of that car. So, so what you're seeing at the moment is an extension of the family of Vtrons. And uh, I'll be lying to say that I, I wouldn't take more business, but actually it's still an education process. It was five years ago on EVs, still is today. But we've got a really nice order bank and we've got a really nice customer set around the country experiencing e-tron. Now, since then, I've been driving something at somewhat the other range of the of the end of the green range. And my apologies here to our EV and EVs and beyond listeners. I tried out the RSQ8, and now the Sportline is, a, I think, a very big part of your market in New Zealand. You guys have a pretty good record internationally for how much it makes up of your of your share. But how do you contrast that with, as you said before, this move towards Audi thinking everyone's going to drive electric cars? And we hear all these things out of Europe about this country's going to ban the sale of petrol vehicles. Or this. What does that mean for you down the scene? I mean, are you going to start losing those performance options that do so well for you? Yeah, look, it's, it's another good point. So the world is looking for better sustainable solutions to mobility, which just basically means the consumers will start to have higher up on their agenda CO2 output of cars. They'll want to know that you've used recycled materials. They want to know that if it's an EV, that you've got good battery recycling or full circle economy for batteries. So there's a whole lot of things the world's moving to and consumers are going to need. What we're doing as a brand is actually acknowledging that and going, this is where we are today. This is where we're going to be in the future and working out the pathway to get there. So you're quite right. We're very passionate about our Audi Sport range of RS product and also about our S range. RS, we're acknowledged as a global leader for Audi at about 13, 14% of our business and the S cars make up another 30. So we've got to keep those customers and bring electrification in at the same time. So you'll see at the moment our new Audi Sport range, the RS product, go mild hybrid. So they've got 48 volt systems, cylinder deactivation, and we've been in that 48 volt space for some time now. The next step is to launch the e-tron GT, which is the first car that we're releasing designed by Audi Sport. So what you've got there is electrification and our Audi Sport model ranges coming together, and that's only the first car designed and implemented through Audi Sport. So the end game actually is we still retain the performance edge. It's just going to happen to be electric. Has Audi set a target for when they're going to actually stop producing 
Yeah, V8s and turbocharged. No, cars. no, no. Look, look, look. They haven't. Not to my knowledge, anyway. The stat I can give you is, for the global mandate is forty percent of our business by twenty twenty five should be electric. So forty out of a hundred cars sold by Audi globally will be electric. Now, some markets will be ahead of that, which personally I think we're more tending towards 50, maybe 55% of our business electric by 2025. Electric or electrified? Electric. So I'm not counting in mild hybrids or anything without a plug. So, and look, you've got to know your product cycles and consumer acceptance to get us there by by that sort of time. But but if the company is going 40% on average globally, we don't do average, we're better than that. The Kiwi psyche is about adopting sustainable power and we're going to have the products there to support that. So I think over half of our business by 2025 will be fully electric. So what are there any products coming that you think will particularly play a role in that? I mean, we, I imagine we need something at the at the kind of smaller end, the more passenger car end of the market than what we've got. At the yeah, moment. look, look, you're right. So we, we do very well at the top end that, that you know about. So we've got the e-tron both in the SUV and the coupe. We then move to the e-tron GT, once again, at the top end, smaller volume. We will then launch some S models of the e-tron, both the SUV and the Sportback. So that completes that family. The powerhouse and the volume will come from the Q4 e-tron which is a completely new design, sits in between clearly the Q3 and the Q5, but a German humour. However, the interior space is bigger than the Q5. We're calling it the Q4 e-tron. Now, there's two body styles there, and I'm lucky enough to have seen that car back in February in the factory, and that car is a volume seller for us. So you'll start and see really forcefully the transition and the offering to go fully electric from that point in a volume segment. And that car, I know what it's capable of doing, and I know that everything from the range to Quattro all-wheel drive and the psyche of the Kiwi customer, for me, that's a no-brainer. As we see quite, what sounds like quite an aggressive curve to electrification, do you have any concerns about what that means for your dealer network in their ongoing service business and their ability to sell various other things around the vehicle? Yeah, look, you've got to um, have very open eyes about a business model, what you've got today versus where you're going. And sure, everyone's aware that the pure servicing to an engine, to from an ICE engine, I should say, to an electric motor is far less. You know, there's probably a drop-off there of about 25%, something of that nature. However, the cars with the technology-laden feature level that they now have mean there are always other things to do. And a lot of people forget that. Johnny and Mary will still be sticking chewing gum down, seat belts, which need to be repaired. Windows will need to be readjusted. Windscreens will need to be replaced. And then you get to the technical errors, and we've now got radars. We've now got lasers being put into these cars. So you need your radar calibrated annually. You need your laser calibrated annually. So there's a whole raft of things coming at us through the automation side of the business and driver assistance systems that do need checking and calibrating. So we're focused on that. The dealers are the single biggest part of our distribution network. They are the process that we retail and they are the key connected to the customer. We're nothing without the dealer network. So we have to protect their viability and also the key customer touch points. We're now, we've seen more news of it this week from overseas, seeing companies 
start to build features into vehicles that are often used by subscription. So I understand things like, you know, adaptive headlights and so on and so forth that can be basically switched on or switched off whether you've paid your bill or not. And I understand you guys have that functionality in some of your vehicles. Is that something you're looking at for the New Zealand market? Look, absolutely. We uh, established Audi Connect, which is a bit like feature on demand, but it's the first stage of that. So Audi Connect is a system whereby you connect your smartphone to your car and that's connected both to us and the factory in Germany. And it allows a consumer today to do a small number of things. If if I've got an e-tron as an example, I can check the state of the battery charge. I can commence charging. I can stop or pause charging. If I've got a normal ICE car, I can check that it's locked or unlocked. I can detect its geo position. There's a whole raft of different things I can do. Now, that's the setup for car to x communication, which allows us to get into different levels of autonomy. It also allows us to do more things in the future. And those items that uh, you mentioned, we call feature on demand, FOD. It allows us to both retail and operate new features being built into cars. So, yep, that's the setup, but you've got to get that platform right. So we've now got embedded SIM cards in probably 65, maybe 70% of our range and give me 12 months and it'll be 100% across our range. So we will have that embedded SIM card with that connectivity completed by the end of next year. Do you think it's a, a hard sell for a Kiwi who's gone and bought, perhaps paid maybe 150 grand for a SUV to then have to shell out on a regular basis for a certain feature to work? Is that a hard sell from a dealer level? Look, it could be depending on what that feature is. And I think if we can provide really good value for money to a consumer through the dealer network and then allow them to repurchase, because you've got to think about not just that first purchase, but that second, third, fourth, and fifth purchase in the marketplace. And if we can bring to that second-hand owner new products and features now available on that car i think there'll be people there who want to pay for it now look that's in addition to things like subscription services for motoring plans for warranties and and you'll see this brand bring those to the marketplace if not late this year then uh, 2021 as well so we um, we understand the role that subscription services will play in the future and uh, we need to be part of that for the consumer. Sorry, subscription services for features or for vehicles? Could be for vehicles, could be for products and services like extended warranties, uh, like motoring plans for used cars, etc. Could be insurance, could be a raft of different things. And that will roll out in New Zealand, that's not an Audi? Correct. Wow, great. Fantastic. Doing a bit of work on that right now. Very interesting. More for the dealers to work on. <laughs> exactly. Now, you have played a little bit of a role in the, I guess, the politics of EV in New Zealand through Drive Electric. You have been part of that organisation. What do you think, you know, we're coming up to an election here. What do you think the government needs to do to push along this rollout? We're kind of in a bit of a weird position. They've dropped the target. We're still running along where the Greens hate this, the, the EV when they, whenever they go to unwrap some big new EV project, it was it's being paid for under a, a policy that Simon Bridges released, what, five years ago now. Yep. What needs to be done? And do you think perhaps that when the new government comes in, the clean car rebate and the clean car standard needs to be looked at? Yeah, look, that's a big topic. How long have you got? Look, the short answer is, what, what, what do I think the government will do? I think personally very little. If the question is, what do I think they should do? Then they have a huge opportunity in front of them. And uh, the previous government started 
a process which unfortunately they couldn't complete because they weren't the government anymore. And the new government talked a lot and did uh, not a lot, putting it quite bluntly. Winston likes to say no to electric car stuff. Yeah, look, look, look he does, <laughs> but Winston's got a tsunami of global practice coming at him and he just needs to get on board with the programme. And I'd say uh, that to him if he was sitting here as well. So what the government needs to do is show strong leadership and it needs to be a first world country in terms of a pathway and a strategy. It needs to enable both fleets around the country, the business community, as well as the private community to adopt EVs. And uh, we need to be able to mainstream EVs. Now, look, they were probably doing an okay job a couple of years ago in terms of getting focus and partnership. But over the last two to three years, they've floated ideas and they've gone nowhere. With my drive electric hat on, we have put through a number of submissions to government and beyond lots of working groups. And it doesn't matter whether it's recommendations for the IRD and FBT offsets or whether it's incentives or fee baits. I mean, we bought out a gentleman from Sweden about the bonus mala system, which the Greens put up as a fee bait system. We've analysed that. We've bought out Norway's uh, leading EV advocate three times now, I think, from memory, to try and talk to the government and um, learn from best practice. It goes in one ear and it sort of stops. And what they actually need is someone to say, actually, here is our pathway. If you take a macro view, 42% of our greenhouse gas emissions is uh, put out by the agriculture and horticulture and dairy industries. But the next cab off the rank is actually transportation. That's about 16 to 18%, depends on who, whose records you read. So, and that's arguably the easier one to tackle to reduce CO2 for greenhouse gas warming. So if we're going to attack that, we need a pathway and we need everyone on board to get that end result, which is low CO2 or zero CO2. In the background also, you've got Jacinda and the team signed up to zero carbon by 2050. Now, what you need is someone to stare at that and go, actually, what do I need to do to actually abide by and work the Zero Carbon Act. So what do I need to do as a business to make sure I'm Zero Carbon Act friendly and ready and be on the pathway to get that? And that's the discussion the country should be having. But we're lacking leadership in that total area. The government's not quite walking the talk across the whole market. And uh, there's nowhere near enough incentives to uptake private consumers and businesses on the EV side. We should be smart. We should be taking petrochemical dollars that we're generating and turn that into incentives like other markets have done. People forget Norway is a net petroleum exporter. They've got one of the largest funds in the world driven by petrochem dollars, but they're smart enough to reinvest that back into EV adoption because they know the black stuff's going to stop. We can be that smart. If you look at Germany, if you look at Europe through COVID, all the money, the billions of euros they put back into the marketplace had a sustainability and EV lens over them. So when they dished out all the money, just as our government did, they said they had to go to, to sustainable business practices or they had to lead in the adoption of EVs. We could have done that. We missed one of the greatest opportunity the government's actually had. So once again, we didn't walk the talk, but I better stop there because I'll keep raving. <laughs> no, that's great. I'll go with one last question. It's kind of on the same topic, but the government has said that the next round of VIP vehicles will be electric or electrified, mm -hmm. should they be riding around in the back of e-trons? 
I'll be foolish to say that they shouldn't be. What you may not be aware is the ministerial fleet already has three e-trons within it. Uh And um, that's probably not widely known, but the government made a choice not so long ago to replace their diesel limousine with three e-trons. So we have three in the country that have been going through trials now for about four months. So they have switched body styles from a large luxury sedan to a large premium SUV and switched motivative power from diesel to fully electric. And apparently the uh, feedback is extremely positive. So if someone's watching vehicles coming out of the Beehive, you will see e-trons now in the ministerial chauffeur-driven fleet. And there'll be more than three, ultimately? I certainly would hope so. Who knows? Uh, I certainly wouldn't be able to comment on that, but the trial's going uh, very positive, and I certainly do hope that you will see a fleet of e-trons fearing ministers around the country. Well, you heard that here first, people. So uh, thank you very much, Dean, for uh, joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Now, the team here at EVs and Beyond do a lot of miles on electric vehicles, so we spend a fair bit of time at fast chargers. And you know what fast chargers we really like? ABB. And I'm not just saying this because they're sponsors. The ABB fast chargers out there on New Zealand's network have some great features. I mean, my favorite is at some that if you plug in and you finish charging and someone else has come along and they've plugged in as well, the system can automatically switch over to that other vehicle. That's a great feature. Plus, we're now seeing the addition of AC charging ports to ABB fast chargers around the network, which again just adds more versatility and leaves less people waiting for their charging to begin going so they can get onto where they need to go. ABB has a huge range of products available. They got AC wall boxes, those DC fast charging stations with really robust connectivity and innovative on-demand electric bus charging for those big operators out there that are starting to get more people in vehicles on the road and reducing their carbon use. So if you want to find out more about ABB can help you, give them a call on 0800 go for abb or if you just got numbers on your phone, 0800 464 That's 0800 464 Thanks again to Dean Sheed for joining us and thank you for listening. Please remember to like and share this podcast. Five stars would be fantastic. Stay safe, be kind, and I'll catch you again in two weeks.